You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C. Uh, and my regular co-host, Katie Putz, is off on vacation this week. So I'm actually delighted to have back on a familiar face to many, uh, a familiar voice to many of you who listen. Uh, Sebastian Strangio, The Diplomats Southeast Asia editor, joins me today. Sebastian, it's been too long, uh, but it's really a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be back, Ankit. <laughs> and uh, Sebastian, I, I'm, I'm particularly glad to have you back since uh, today we'll be addressing a topic that uh, several listeners have um, emailed me and DM'd me on Twitter about uh, in, in the last several weeks, uh, which is an update on the situation in Myanmar. Uh, and of course, we'd scheduled this podcast uh, well, uh, well uh, a week in advance, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the timing of our recording coincides with some really bleak news out of the country. Uh, um, the the uh, the junta announced that uh, four democracy activists had been executed, um, which has drawn a sharp rebuke from around the region. Um, so maybe we can begin our conversation there and then talk a little bit more broadly about the international diplomacy around um, Myanmar, uh, which the context here, of course, is that we are nearing the 18-month anniversary uh, in on the 1st of August of the um, the early 2021 coup d'etat, uh, which has thrown the country into a complex fractured insurgency as the Tatmadaw or the Burmese military uh, looks to consolidate its power. Um, but Sebastian, enough for me. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, these, these executions. Uh, I mean, first of all, why um, were these carried out? What does the junta hope to gain here? Is this about internal signaling or is this sort of, you know, basically giving the outside world the proverbial finger, so to speak? Why exactly uh, would they do this? Well, when they announced these executions last month, um, there was some speculation that perhaps this was a, you know, a bargaining chip that they would seek to use in their uh, dealings with ASEAN or with the, the wider outside world. Um, it now appears that that assessment uh, is was was misplaced. It seems that this is really a brute act of intimidation designed to cow the Myanmar public into silence and acquiescence. Um, uh, you know, the, the the junta's decision to execute um, these four political prisoners, which include one, you know, a, a member of the ousted National League for Democracy government, uh, a lawmaker for that government, um, and another high-profile political activist who took part in the 1988 uprising against military rule as well. Um, you know, the fact that they've done this, you know, in this is displayed an, an absolute contempt, not only for um, global opinion, but also for the opinion of Myanmar's neighbors in ASEAN. Um, you know, Prime Minister Hun Sen, who holds the rotating chair of ASEAN this year, made a personal um, plea in a letter to Min Aung Lang, um, the head of the junta last month. Um, and this is also, you know, the, the executions also take place just a week before a series of high profile ASEAN meetings um, in Phnom Penh. So, you know, I think that the, the, the indifference that the junta has shown toward um, international and regional opinion is a sign to me that the motivation for these things is purely to intimidate the Myanmar public um, and to, yeah, to cow, the you know, to, to drive ordinary people away from the resistance. Mm -hmm. So the reactions from around the region uh, have been strong. Uh, at, as you noted, um, Cambodia holds the ASEAN chairmanship right now, and um, they released a chairman statement on the execution of the four opposition activists, calling it uh, highly reprehensible, which, you know, by ASEAN standards is fairly strong language. Uh, indeed, um, we have similar reactions from around the region, including from um, Malaysia, which called 
the executions, a mockery of ASEAN's peace plan for Myanmar. What do you make of the regional response? And do you think this will actually move the needle at all on how ASEAN uh, approaches Myanmar over the coming uh, weeks and months as Cambodia uh, looks to round out its year as chair? Well, the, the executions really were really a slap in the face to the Cambodian um, government. Um, you know, again, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Hun Sen had made a personal plea. Minong Lang has totally ignored that. They've also chosen to do this at a time, you know, when ASEAN is gearing up for, you know, a large, you know, a series of high profile meetings. Um, you know, they couldn't, you know, the timing couldn't have been worse in terms of embarrassing and frankly insulting ASEAN. Um, so if there's anything that's going to move, uh, it's also a mockery of ASEAN's sort of the ASEAN way, this sort of consensus-based, slow, process-based diplomacy aimed at sort of moving things, keeping channels of dialogue open and sort of really foregrounding, you know, continued consultations. You know, it makes a mockery of that. It makes a mockery of the five-point consensus that ASEAN agreed last April, which, you know, I mean, the, the junta has made a mockery of that since 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 it was um, agreed, but this is a particularly egregious violation of both the spirit and letter of the five-point consensus. Um, so if there's anything that's going to push ASEAN to toughen its position on Myanmar and even carve out an exception to its um, operating principles of non-interference, um, you know, this might well be it. The question, though, is, you know, what is likely to happen? Um, assuming that ASEAN can muster the necessary consensus is always, uh, you know, um, that, that it's never something that can be assumed because all it takes is one member state to sort of hold up proceedings. Um but even if they can um, establish some kind of unity, you know, like how they can effectively punish Myanmar, a government, Myanmar's junta, a government that's really shown it has no concern for the opinion of other countries, um, you know, it views itself as sort of a, you know, a besieged, um, virtuous vanguard, I suppose, of Myanmar's national interest. Um uh, and so, you know, one thing that the Malaysian foreign minister suggested, I think, in an interview yesterday was that, you know, ASEAN could potentially exclude the junta's representatives from any um, uh, meeting of ASEAN, including ministerial level meetings, which um, do you think you know, they'll previously happen? it had only excluded. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, this is really a test of ASEAN's, you know, um, way of doing business. I mean, you know, normally, you know, ASEAN, you know, sanctions are not really in its diplomatic vocabulary. Um, expelling a member and threatening, you know, the the the, the kind of co cohesion and unity of the bloc is also something that appears to be, you know, a, a bridge too far at the moment still. Mm -hmm. um, so really, you know, wh whether this extends beyond superlatives and expressions of concern is... Um, you know, really remains to be seen. I predict that there probably will be some toughening, but whether that's meaningful in any way and whether that actually moves the needle on, you know, the junta's political calculations, um, you know, is hard to say at this this point in time. So whenever we talk about ASEAN, uh, the C word consensus uh, is always front and center. Uh, I believe, you know, you used it when you were uh, describing the conditions that would be necessary for ASEAN to take action on Myanmar. If you look around at uh, the other nine ASEAN members, um, what, uh, you know, which country do you see as the most likely to potentially uh, inhibit strong ASEAN action on Myanmar? Or is there a fair sense that consensus does exist or likely will manifest uh, in a way necessary to uh, bring ASEAN around on this issue? 
Well, the Cambodians have typically been pretty hostile to the idea of, you know, um, interfering in other nations' affairs. Obviously, they have their own sensitivities about that due to their relations with the West and Western democracy promotion efforts dating back the last few decades. Um, but you know, the the, the fact that the um, that the junta has basically poked the Cambodian government in the eye with these executions and really embarrassed it may you know, make Cambodia much more open to a, a harder line. Um, uh, and so I don't think the Cambodians are going to be the the, the greatest holdouts in terms of a harder line on, on Myanmar. Probably Vietnam and Laos, uh, two countries that, you know, really can be spoken to, you know, um, of in the same breath, given their very, very close alignment of um, a political alignment. Um, you know, and, and they've been, um, I, I haven't seen any statements from either of them. I haven't really looked um, uh, about the, um, so they may have put out statements about the executions. Um, but, you know, these two countries, um, you know, have been uh, very hostile to the idea of, of sort of um, a stronger ASEAN line. Um, they've been fairly, you know, actually fairly quiet about it since the beginning. Um, but, you know, it also, you know, these, these are nations that also voted you know, have, you know, voted against, I believe, uh, the UN Human Rights Council resolution um, uh, that expelled Russia from the council and have, you know, have been, you know, similar, you have adopted similar positions toward the Russia-Ukraine war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I would predict that they would probably be the main holdouts. Um, but who knows? I mean, this, you know, I, I do think that the Vietnamese in particular see ASEAN as having some value. And it's possible that, you know, if, I mean, people have said that ASEAN's credibility is on the line since the coup happened last February, um, it could be that, that that, you know, sense of ASEAN itself, you know, coming under existential threat may be the thing that moves um, nations like Vietnam, you know, across to the other side. Um, but, you know, it's very hard to know what to do with a country that, that has, that displays right. a near, near total indifference to, you know, regional and global opinion. I mean, what do you do? Right. Um, before we move ahead, Sebastian, I just wanted to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about our sponsor for this episode. Quarterly Essay is Australia's leading journal of politics, culture, and debate. Their latest issue, Sleepwalk to War, Australia's Unthinking Alliance with America by Hugh White, explores Australia's fateful choice to back America to the hilt and oppose China. White assesses America's credibility and commitment by examining AUKUS, the Quad, Trump, and Biden. He discusses what the Ukraine conflict tells us about the future and argues that the U.S. can neither contain China nor win a war over Taiwan. For over 20 years, Quarterly Essay has been at the forefront of political discussion, publishing award-winning essays from outstanding writers, journalists, and commentators. Use promo code DIPLOMAT to take 20% off an ebook or print copy of this original essay by Australia's leading strategic thinker. Read more at quarterlyessay.com.au. Back to it, Sebastian. Um, okay, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, July 2022, this month began with a visit to Myanmar by Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, uh, which the Tatmada sort of cited as a recognition, you know, of its legitimacy. China's role, I think, has been fascinating with sort of, you know, support for the junta on the one hand, but also accusations by the um, by the Tatmada that Chinese arms are going to certain armed groups in northern Myanmar, so on and so forth. What's your sense of China's role right now, um, um, on, you know, in Myanmar uh, and in sort of promoting this process? China has also sort of positioned itself alongside ASEAN uh, in sort of encouraging Myanmar to sort of restart the transition process and, and sort of return power to the people, uh, if you sort of read the Chinese foreign ministry statement. So there's a contradiction uh, on um, on the one hand there, but uh, I'd be, you know, very curious for um, your take on the Chinese role uh, in Myanmar at the moment. 
Well, I think, you know, for, for the, initially it was sort of damage control. I don't think the Chinese were, um, contrary to rumor, um, aware that this coup was going to happen. And I think they were quite shocked by it. I think there's a certain frustration in, in, in Chinese policymaking circles with the dysfunction of Myanmar politics, with the conflict, with the instability that that engenders, and the difficulty that this poses for the fulfillment of longstanding Chinese strategic goals in the country, such as sort of an opening an infrastructure corridor from um, Yunnan province to the Indian Ocean. Um you know, I think fairly quickly, within four or five months, the Chinese government had had you know made a fairly frank and brute assessment that um, the Myanmar military would prevail, and they began to restore relations um, with the military junta and and sort of pick up the pieces, as it were. Um, that has really continued to the present. There's been you know much more. Yeah, there's been you know the visit by the foreign minister was a you know um, just the latest sign of many that you know um, that. The Chinese are making a very pragmatic assessment that, you know, the, the military junta is likely to emerge victorious and that China is best, is its strategic interests are best served by, you know, normalizing relations and restoring, um, you know, good ties to the extent that it can. It probably also sees some strategic benefit in the fact that Myanmar is once again isolated from the West. And so therefore, it, it you know, it, it, it enjoys pole position, I suppose, um, in the country as it did prior to 2011, um, when the country began its um, program of political opening. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, if, if the situation continues to deteriorate, how much pressure China is willing to put on mm -hmm. um, the Myanmar military. I think that the Chinese probably are, you know, they see all of these Western nations lining up um, with expressions of concern, you know, meet, you know, meeting with the national unity government and so forth. And I think that they, you know, knowing, um, you know, the, the sort of paranoia of the Chinese leadership, I, I think they probably view all of these things as, you know, as, 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 as motivated in part by sort of an anti-China, um, there being an anti-China motivation to a lot of this, and they're concerned that Western, more open Western support for the opposition will, you know, will threaten China's interests in the country, and that that is probably also motivating their increasing, um, you know, dealings with the with the junta um uh but if things continue to deteriorate you know it, it it will be interesting to see if china sort of applies meaningful pressure on the military regime to to, to come to terms with its opponents but right mm -hmm. now it seems very willing to play along with the military's perception uh or, or framing of the conflict as one between a legitimate government seeking order and stability and uh, you know bands of terrorists seeking to undermine its control yeah so you know, one thing I wanted to ask you is one of the ideas that's um, popular here in Washington uh, is the imposition of sanctions on the energy sector uh, in Myanmar, which is uh, one of the areas where the junta continues to um, seek you know, revenue for its ongoing campaigns against the various uh, insurgent groups around the country. Um, what's your take on this? And, and can you talk a little bit about the role of Thailand in particular? Because I think that's been interesting uh, and it sort of comes up uh, the nature of sort of Thai uh, economic engagement with Myanmar, um, particularly on the energy side. Do you think that this sure. is uh, an avenue worth pursuing, uh, or is this sort of a misguided uh, idea overall and in, uh, in the effect that it's likely to have on the junta? Yeah, well, since the coup, um, activists have been calling for sanctions on the Myanmar oil and gas enterprise, um, which is probably the leading source of revenue for the military. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and one of the main sort of... Um, uh, international partners of Moog is um, Thai, you know, I think the PTT, the Thai um, 
oil and gas company. Um, and you know, this gas, gas created um, Myanmar gas, you know, produces electricity for the Thai market. And so, you know, any sanctioning by the U.S. government of this entity would also affect um, a huge number of households in in uh, Western Thailand. And I think my understanding of the politics of this is that U.S. policymakers are very cautious about pulling that trigger because it would potentially worsen quite significantly relations with Thailand at a time when the U.S. Thai relationship is, I wouldn't say in a bad state, but certainly in a state of stagnation and drift. Right. Um, and and so, you know, that there's sort of a strategic um, concern um, there. Um, uh, I mean, I think the moral case for sanctioning uh, Moog is very clear, but, you know, the the sort of after effects that it might have on, on you, know, you know, the broader U.S. relationship with Thailand is, is something that, um, you know, policymakers are weighing in the balance. Yeah. Um, and amid, you know, broader economic headwinds for the Thai economy as well, like so many economies around the world right now dealing with inflation, so on and so forth. This would be a of course um, similar, a you state. know, in some ways to the, the sanctions that have been posed against Russia that have right. that have really created economic shockwaves around the world. And Absolutely. then there's this sort of question of like, you know, how far do you, you know, um, weaponize uh, this interdependence? Um, and, and how far do you let, you know, the um, the negative economic impacts run before, you know, it starts to undermine sort of the, your broader strategic position. And, you know, I, I do think that in some ways there's limits to how far Western governments can go. Um, I mean, you can cut off all economic intercourse with the Myanmar junta. You can isolate it completely from international financial networks. Um, they have been here before, so it's not as if that they, they can't survive that sort of isolation. The next step from there would be, you know, to, to to offer concrete as opposed to rhetorical support for the national unity government and the various forces seeking to unseat the Myanmar military. And this, you know, there is, I think this is also a popular idea amongst at least, you know, in my Twitter timeline, I see a lot of people advocating this sort of support. And I suppose the danger here, you know, or, or it would be a very significant Rubicon to cross. I think the, um, you know, to offer substantial material, even military support for the resistance would um, commit Western governments to a revolutionary transformation of Myanmar's politics, which is precisely what the NUG's um, agenda is. I mean, it is it is not seeking simply a, re a return to the status quo ante. It is seeking the creation of a new status quo in which the military plays a very, very small role mm -hmm. um, in Myanmar's politics and is, is subordinated to civilian control the creation of a federal democracy, something that would resolve a lot of the ethnic fissures that have um, that have complicated the country's history since independence. I mean, these are this is a huge project that potentially will involve a very bloody struggle on the part of the resistance forces. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. so you know, as we as we close out uh, the discussion, uh, I want to ask you sort of probably the toughest question, which is, uh, you know, I know, I know it's it's quite difficult to make heads or tails of the very complex insurgency environment within Myanmar. Uh, you know, we've talked about some of the, uh, you know, the main the main parties, the Tatmada, the NUG, but you have the ethnic armed organizations around the country as well, uh, who, uh, for tactical or strategic reasons, um, are are partnering with either the military or the NUG. 
Um, and then you have sort of, you know, um, groups that are really out for themselves. Looking at the landscape uh, of sort of insurgency within Myanmar, um, are there any clear trends that sort of jump out to you with regard to the direction of the conflict? Uh, you know, we're, we're at the 18 month mark now since the coup. Um, by the 24 month mark, by the two year mark, uh, where do you think we'll be with regard to the actual uh, internal situation? Will things look basically just as bad as they do right now? Or do you think uh, the military will actually be able to consolidate some advances? As you hinted, perhaps uh, the Chinese assessment might suggest the military is actually perhaps positioned better than uh, some might think in terms of consolidating uh, its its grip on power. You know, it's really difficult to say. You know, you, you do see rosy takes um, coming out of the national unity government and, and also um, sympathetic observers in the West that... Um, you know, that the military is on its last legs, it's having difficult finding recruits, um, it's stretched thin across the country um, and is, um, you know, really, you know, f even in its traditional heartlands in central Myanmar is facing, you know, huge, you know, nearly universal popular resistance as well as increasingly effective armed resistance from civilian militia groups. Um, it's really hard to say. I mean, it, you know, to cut through the fog of war, which is particularly... Um, thick in a place like Myanmar, where you have so many overlapping um, insurgent groups and ethnic armed organizations and civilian militias that are, you know, loyal to the national unity government, but, you know, not entirely under its control. Um, you know, it's incredibly hard to say. I mean, my, my sense is that the military is facing increasing degrees of armed resistance um, uh, and that, you know, things are becoming increasingly tenuous, but the, you know, there. What I've heard of assessments of the Myanmar military and its internal culture is that it's very unlikely that you're going to see, you know, mass defections and a, you know a collapse of the army from within. Um, uh, you know, however, I'm not enough of an expert to rule that out. I mean, you know, um, I have seen some experts begin to reassess their um, early takes on the likelihood of the uh, of the Myanmar military. Um, being defeated. Um, and, you know, there have been some reassessments to the effect that actually, you know, things are a little bit more uncertain now than they seemed a year ago. Um, but frankly, there's, you know, there's so much, um, there's, there's such sort of, you know, a lack of information or such a diversity of information. It's very hard to synthesize and very hard to get a sense of actually what's going on, especially since a lot of that information is coming from sources that are sympathetic to the resistance and, and, and you know, for understandable reasons, want to paint it it's it's progress and, and to highlight its progress and to, to you know present things in in you know um a more optimistic light absolutely um, well i asked you uh, i asked you a tough and unfair question and you gave me a pretty nuanced answer uh, so i appreciate yeah. that but uh any 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 uh closing thoughts uh sebastian before we uh end our discussion well i think it's pretty interesting to see you know the I think one thing that the Myanmar um, opposition is struggling with a little bit is the fickleness of international attention. You know, you have an event that happens and there's and it, cap it captures the international headlines for for a month or two. Um, but then inevitably there comes along something else which sweeps it to the side. And I think that the you know, the, the, there's a there's a good deal of cynicism now on social media um, accounts that I follow um, of people within Myanmar and activists within Myanmar about these kind of constant Western expressions of concern and anguish about what's happening in the country. Um, you know, that there's this sense that, you know, th these, there's sort of a ritualistic quality to a lot of this. And um, that, you know, a lot of people look at what the US and other Western countries are doing to support Ukraine. Um, and they, you know, they make the point that even, you know, a tiny fraction of what Ukraine is getting 
would be of huge benefit to the Myanmar population. Now, as I said before, that carries a lot of risks, but there is this sort of perception that, you know, the West is all talk and no action when it comes to you know, supporting democracy and human rights abroad. And I think it'll be very interesting to see if the situation continues to worsen, you know, whether that changes. Um, but, you know, as it stands, you know, in six months time, you know, I don't think we're going to be looking at a significantly different um, landscapes to what we are now. Um, and uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope things improve. I hope there is a, you know, a breakthrough of some kind, but, you know, unfortunately the trend lines are not looking good. Yeah, no, I mean, your your closing thought there on the fickleness of international attention was something that uh, I also uh, heard when I had a brief chance to interact with um, a few um, Burmese delegates uh, at the uh, at the Shangri-La uh, dialogue, uh, obviously, who were watching events elsewhere, uh, including Ukraine, quite closely. I think, uh, you know, it speaks to, um, at least when it comes to the West's engagement with this part of the world, uh, the importance of geopolitics, right? Uh, the United States treats Ukraine and Myanmar as completely different crises for precisely the reasons mm -hmm. that U.S. national interests diverge, uh, which is something that I think mm -hmm. is, is, is difficult and uh, and frustrating uh, for, um, you know, people wishing for a, a more active U.S. response there. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Sebastian, thank you so much uh, for joining me today and, and uh, really helping uh, all of our listeners make sense of uh, the situation in Myanmar. Uh, it's great to back, uh, you know, have you back on, and I'm sure it won't be too long before you're back on the show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, I look forward to it. For listeners, if you like what you heard on the show and you want more, make sure you subscribe so you can see future episodes as they come out. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do so. You can do that anywhere you get your podcasts, and we really appreciate it. It helps the show grow. And as always, like I said at the beginning, this episode was brought to you uh, partly due to reader int uh, listener interest. So if you have any particular subjects that you would like to see covered on the podcast, please reach out to me by email or on Twitter. I'd be very happy to take those recommendations into account as we plan future episodes. Thanks a lot for listening.